0: Good morning! How many of you love that song? Remember that song? Now, I don't urge you hand on this, but how many of you that describes your marriage? Right? Now uh, you, you laugh, but I mean, think about it. I mean, if you thought about the song, and of course, I, I mean, you know, there's so much of that song. I mean, most of you, when you hear the song, the first thing you go to is Top Gun, Tom Cruise, right, singing. He's like, baby, baby, I'll get down on my knees for you, if you'd only love me. And if you haven't seen it, you need, you need to watch It was awesome, right? But I mean, that moment of that song, and you think about it, it's a great song, love the song, but at the end of the day, it's kind of got a sad message to the song, right? It's like, hey, you've lost that love and feeling. I mean, that thing we used to have, that mojo, that connection, we used to have, you lost it. We don't have it anymore. And so at the very end of the song, I love it because it goes, bring back that love and feeling, right? Oh, that lo- bring back that love and feeling because it once was gone, gone, gone. And then it ends with, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's kind of like sad, whoa is us, Right? And I think if we thought about our marriages, and and I know, listen, today if if you're single, listen, a couple weeks ago we did a message just on singleness, the beauty of singleness, and as we go through this today, you're going to go, thank God I'm single, and it is a gift from God, and you're going to stay on that path. But if you're that single person who goes, I want to be married, you need to listen to today. And if you're married, we talked about fighting fair last week, and this week we're going to talk about rediscovering your mojo, or your connection, it's a different way of saying it. Because I think as I talk about to married couples over the last eight years of being a pastor and and talking with couples and counseling with couples, I think this song really is true for so many married couples that somewhere when we first got married and, and we were dating and we were courting, that's a word we should probably bring back, right? We were courting them and, 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 and it was all going well and we were doing whatever we could to win their heart, their affection, their attention, and then we got married and it was great because it was us against the world, we don't have to listen to our parents anymore, I mean, but we need all their money, but I mean, it was us against the world, right? You remember that? And we were connected, and we were close, and it was awesome. And then somewhere along the years of marriage, it just kind of got lost. And that song, for many of you, if you really are honest today, might be a better picture of your marriage than you want it to be. We've lost that loving feeling. Now, there's a lot of reasons. Maybe we've lost the connection of the mojo. Maybe for some of us, financial issues. I can't tell you the number of people. If you listen, let me just tell you real quickly. In most of my life in ministry, 27 years in ministry, counseling, especially as it relates to adults and married couples, it comes down to three things right? It comes down to physical intimacy, it comes down to finances, and it comes down to communication. Those three things, I mean, rarely have I ever counseled a couple that somewhere it wasn't one of those issues. So maybe the reason you've lost your mojo is maybe because there's been financial troubles or financial issues. I'm telling you, there's no greater tool the devil can use in a marriage to rip it apart than financial issues. I mean, it is the breeding ground for all kinds of fighting, And maybe that's one reason. Maybe one reason you've lost your mojo and your connection is you don't communicate anymore. Remember when you were first married and you talked about everything? And then something happened and you talk about nothing anymore? How was your day? Great. How was your day? Great. And you just go on your way. And you don't, I mean, it's like you don't care anymore. I mean, maybe it's a connection. Maybe it's because your career passed. Maybe, like, Sonya, I was 21, she was 20, we got married, we were young, we really hadn't began a career path, maybe you pursued a career path, and somewhere along the line, just because of necessity, you were doing the right thing, you were pursuing your own careers, but somehow it just took you apart, and maybe that's what's caused the break of your mojo and your connection. Maybe, 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 it's kids, Right? Maybe it's kids that's caused that. Now, I'm not dogging on kids because I've got three of them most days. I love all three of them, but I, I'm, I'm saying I'm just kidding. But the thing about his kids is, kids demand a lot of time, don't they? And kids you seem to unfortunately, we seem to revolve our life around our kids, which, by the way, princes is not biblical at all. And we do that, and sometimes the tension our kids take from us as couples can tend to cause us to break that. So there could be a lot of reasons and you could probably list a whole bunch more. But as I search the scriptures and I look at all these passages that deal with married and marriage and married couples and our roles and different things, I believe this to be true. I believe the main reason that couples lose their mojo, they lose their sense of connection. Those other things may be a factor, but I believe the main biblical reason I'm going to support today that we lose our connection, our mojo with our spouse is the lack of intimacy. Now, all the guys in the room go, Ah, yes, I want this message today, right? However, physical is very little to do with intimacy most of the time. It is not the only branch of intimacy. So, so guys, I, I hate that for you, but at the end of the day, if that's what you think intimacy is, just the physical side, you are sadly mistaken, isn't he, women? Yeah, so I'm like, I don't want to say anything right now. I just want to be quiet and get the sweat off my brow and keep on moving, right? But at the end of the day, it's not that. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, you all know this, it says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and go unite or cling or cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That phrase in the Hebrew, one flesh, and even in the Greek, one flesh, literally means the intermingling of souls. That means when two become one, it is physical, it is spiritual, it is emotional, and it is a mental, it is the totality of two people becoming one. So that means this, that intimacy is to fully know someone and to fully be known by someone without the fear of rejection. That's biblical intimacy. That I can be fully known by someone and fully know someone without the fear of rejection. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that maybe one of the reasons in your marriage and in my marriage, the times that we feel like, yeah, Tom Cruise, you're right, we have lost that love and feeling. We have lost our mojo. We've lost our connection is because we lack biblical intimacy. The merging of two spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally is not there anymore. And let me just say this to you. You can merge physically and still not have intimacy because you're missing the other three components. You can merge spiritually, and you're not building intimacy because you're missing three components. You can merge with your mind and your, and your, and your physical, but you're still not building intimacy because where's the spirit in that? Where is the emotions in that? It is a total of two becoming one. That's why when you fight That's why when we uh, marriages, even some of them dissolve, it is so painful because it's like taking two pieces of paper and gluing them together. If you glue them together and you keep them there long enough and pressed hard enough together, when you begin to tear them, will they separate easily or will they rip each other apart? They will rip each other apart. Why? Because two became one, right? So here's my question for the day as we get into scriptures. How do we get that level of biblical intimacy back? How do we get to that place where I can truly know my spouse and be known by my spouse without any fear of rejection, without any fear of her judging me or or him, him judging me? How do I get that intimacy back where I fully know them and they fully know me without their fear of rejection? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, go ahead and flip there, grab your phone, your iPad, it doesn't matter. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, many of you, as you turn this passage, are going to go, that's a very familiar passage, Doug. And I believe that passage has zero to do with biblical marital intimacy. And what I would submit to you today is this. It has everything to do with biblical and marital intimacy. So Paul, in this letter to the church of Ephesus, he's writing to them in the book of Ephesians, he addresses wives and he addresses husbands. And so I want us to read that beginning in chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, this is for you. Wives, if you want to build biblical intimacy with your husband, here's what Paul says you need to do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and as is himself, its Savior, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, can we be honest, in today's culture, that rubs a lot of people wrong, doesn't it? I mean, when you start looking and we talk about political correctness and we talk about different things, that really rubs, especially ladies, that can really rub you wrong. Well, here's the thing we need to know is that what Paul is saying is that wives, if you want to build biblical intimacy, is what you need to do. You need to submit to your husbands. And I know all the husbands are going, yes, I've been waiting for this message. But you probably misunderstand submission too. Right? Now, here's the deal. He says something profound. He said, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Meaning, there was a moment in your life, if you're a believing woman, there's a moment in your life, if you're a married woman who's a believer, there was a moment in your life that you submitted yourself to the Lord. And just like you submitted yourself to the Lord, I also want you to submit yourself that same way to your husband. So it's important for us today to talk about what is biblical submission. When we look at that word submission, we look at the Greek and the context and the meaning of it, what is biblical submission? And there's three things I want to say about submission. And first of all, I want to say this. Well, I'm going to add four because I'm going to add one here. Submission is not obedience. Amen, women? Amen. Men, you got it, <laughs> right? I'm the king of the house. Do what I say. You probably should get throat punched on that one, right? It is biblical submission is not obedience. And I know, men, we know that. But do sometimes don't we treat our wives like that, right? So biblical submission is not obedience or, or adherence to Let me give you a couple thoughts on biblical submission. Submission is to place, first of all, yourself under your husband. Here's what it means. When you submitted to the Lord, you placed yourself under his care, under his protection, and under his provision for your life, didn't you? When you said yes to Jesus and you submitted yourselves to him, say, Lord, you can have all of me. I completely surrender and submit myself to you. You submitted to put yourself under the Lord, his care, his protection, and his provision. That's what it means to submit also to your husband, to place yourself under his care, under his provision, and under his protection. They're probably the best example I've ever seen of that. About a year ago, I had the privilege of marrying uh, Emma Cooper, who's now Emma Pratt. And she said, hey, I want this element in our service. And I never heard of this element. In fact, I had to Google it because all the answer's on Google. What is this thing? I've never heard of this. Because when I've done weddings, there's usually a moment where they do the unity candle, right? You know what I'm talking about? The two become one and they blow out the candles. Or maybe they don't blow out the candles. And they do all this. Or the blending of sands, two families becoming one. I've even seen communion d- done at that point. The husband been served the wife i've even seen foot washing at a, at a wedding it was awesome that took place but she said i want a unity cross i go emma what in the world is a unity cross so she looked it up and showed me and it was the most beautiful thing that i've ever seen it was and we in the ceremony literally there was a moment where we talk i began to talk about and say you know in marriage the husband is to be the covering for his wife and she's to place herself under his care, provision, and protection. And so he's to be her covering. And when I would say that, after I got done, they would take the cross. Uh, the the, uh, the husband took the cross, and it was just a hollowed frame cross. It was thick, but it was hollowed, and he put it on this platform, kind of the covering, an outline of a cross. It was thick, but it was just the outline. And then I would talk about the wife, how she's the beauty. Of the marriage, which is which is true, she and looking across the room, I know I'm right. She's the beauty in the marriage. And inside, there was she. Uh, Emma had this this cross that was was thin and it was wood, and it wasn't as thick as the outer piece, but it was beautifully designed. And then she would take that and place it inside the other cross. And then it had three pegs that the parents put in that represented what holds us together: is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. It was awesome. But what a beautiful picture of how the husband is a covering for his wife and how she placed herself under him for his protection, for his provision, and for his care. Submission, ladies, is you placing yourself under his care, protection, and provision. Submission is also accepting His authority. Now, let me just be real clear about this. Accepting his authority does not mean he gets to walk around with the crown and go, I'm the king of the house, and what I say goes. If that's what you believe, you're arrogant and you're not following any biblical model and you probably should be talked to really severely, right? I mean, because I've known men like that. By golly, I said it, that's the way it should be. That's not the way marriage is designed. See, when I say accepting his authority, here's what I'm talking about. Accepting his authority not over you but as the head of the house. Now I want you to hear me on this one, because it says the husbands are the head of the household, like Christ is the head of the church, right? I don't know why God put it in order, because what I what I know, men, is what you know. My wife is way smarter than I am. Amen? Now, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about you now, right? I mean, you know your wife is smarter than you are. They probably can make better decisions. They probably have a greater sense of discernment. So that may be a question I ask God when I get to heaven. Why did you place us as the head? Because we're really not that smart. But at the end of the day, that's what God's word says. Husbands are to be the head of the household. So when you accept his authority, you're not accepting it as it's over you, like he's ruling over you. You're accepting it as He is the head of the house. Now, listen to me on this. A head of the household is not a position, it is a responsibility. Now, you might want to write that down. Husbands, being the head of the household is not a position, it's a responsibility. Let me say something that's going to frighten most husbands in the room. We will be held accountable for how we raised our family. We will be held accountable for how we dealt with our marriage. We as husbands are going to be held accountable. Being the head of the household is not a position, it is a responsibility. Now the beautiful thing is this, Jesus is the head of the church, so at least we can look at Jesus' husbands and model what he modeled. And when you look at the life of Jesus and you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus led the movement of the church in a powerful way. And you know a couple things I noticed about his leadership? One was he did it with uh, kind of mutual cooperation. He looked to the disciples. And you remember that point where Jesus said, I want this word to get out. And he sent the disciples out two by two. I mean, he was working with the disciples to send things out. Listen to me in marriage, husbands. Listen to me clearly. Clearly. When decisions have to be made, because you're the head doesn't mean you make them by yourself. You work in cooperation with your spouse. She is your partner, not your maid. It's to be in mutual cooperation. Also, as Jesus led, he led by honoring those that he was leading. Jesus never beat down those who he led. Jesus never was condescending to those that he led. Jesus was honoringly built them up. Listen, husbands, it's our job as the head, not only to do it in mutual cooperation with our wives, but to build them up and to honor them. And I'll come back to that more in a minute. Here's my point, ladies. Him having authority in the household as the head does not mean he's the dictator of the house. But there is an authority that God has given him to lead his family that you need to accept. Third thing when you think about submission is yes, it's to place yourself under. Yes, it's to accept his authority. But third of all, it means to yield to your husband's leadership, which is pleasing to the Lord. Here's something I want you to think about. All the years I've spent counseling couples and even my own marriage, wives, you just need to know something most of the time. Now, sometimes this may not be true, but most of the time, your husband's on your side. He is for you, not against you. And so as he tries to lead, allow him to lead. Yield to his leadership. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have questions. That doesn't mean you shouldn't shouldn't challenge some things. But you can do it in a way that's gracious and loving and not condemning and hateful. And to submit to your husband literally means to place yourself under their care, protection, provision. It means to accept the authority God has given them as the head leader of the house and to yield to the leadership that God has given them to manage the household. Yield to them. Now, I wanna say something very important. As you submit, ladies, to your husband, make sure you do it with the right motive. Don't do it in haste. Don't do it to manipulate. Do it because the Bible says when you do that, it is pleasing to the Lord. Now, let me tell you why submission is such a big deal. What I believe is such a big deal. Submission builds intimacy with your husband. And now you're thinking, how in the world is that possible? Listen, because when you submit to your husband, you are showing them respect and you're showing them appreciation. Think about it. Submission builds intimacy with your husband and it does because it builds respect. It's you showing them respect and it's also you showing them appreciation. In fact, there's a book and I want you to pick this up. And let please hear me real quickly. Like tonight, if you haven't signed up for the marriage thing, you need to be here. It's going to be a great time of fun. We're going to have desserts because I like to eat and it's going to be awesome. And Jordan Copeland's going to be coming and singing and it's going to be an awesome time and the video's going to be awesome. But more importantly, it's, it's important for you to be here to invest in your marriage. And there's this book called Love and Respect that's out there. We only have 15 of them left and I hope they're all gone. But in this book, he makes this assertion, and this is backed by a lot of the psychologists I read this week, that the number one need and desire of a man, of a husband, is Respect. Think about it. I can think about all the counseling sessions that I've had with married couples and I can go back and look at every man and his ultimate issue is he feels disrespected at home. He feels emasculated. Like his voice doesn't matter, he doesn't matter. And in this book, this is Christian authors. It's a great book. You need to pick it up because we're gonna talk more about it. But ultimately it says the greatest need of every man, of every husband is to be respected. And when you submit to your husband, you are showing them respect and you're showing them appreciation. Now, what I love about this book is he talks about six areas, wives, that you can truly show your husband respect and you can truly, truly show them appreciation. And I just want to give you a snapshot of those because I want you to be enticed to get the book. One area he talks about showing your husband respect and appreciation is in his desire to work, in his desire to work. Now, you may have a husband and you care nothing about his job, but you need to make sure he knows that you believe in him that you know that you, that you do something to let them know, I believe in what you're doing. I believe your job matters. I remember when we started the church back in, back in 2010, wow, almost eight years ago. And I remember, you know, sitting there and Dave and Luann and I and Sonia, we made the decision, then we launched it in September and it was awesome. And, and then I remember at the end of September, something dawned on me for the first several months, I went from a job with an income to a job with no, I mean, no income, living on savings. And there were some times in our household as the worry worked. I was really stressed out. Because we just kept depleting the savings and depleting. And I'd figure out, well, if we don't do this or we don't do that. I mean it was, it was painful. And I'll never forget those moments. And maybe I've never told her this and I probably should have. Those moments when she'd come up and she would just encourage me, go, you know what? Hey, what God has called us to do is what God has called us to do, and I'm excited, and He's gonna take care of us. Don't worry about anything. Let's just keep doing it. And you know what? We never missed a meal. We never missed a bill. We never missed an offering. We never missed any of that. And it was her telling me she believed in me that raised me up. Are you with me on that, man? Do you agree with me on that, man? You need that. So in his work, another one thing is a desire to protect and provide. Every husband in this room has this undercurrent, I hope, that if something were to happen, you were to go outside and something was to happen, his first goal is going to be protect and to provide for you. We all have that as husband. We want to protect and to provide for our wives. And you need to make sure that you are building him up instead of tearing him down. Don't talk about why he can't provide or why he's not protecting you or how he makes you feel insecure. Build him up. There's a story in the book, a famous preacher. He's dead by now, but he's a famous preacher. His name's E.V. Hill. You may have heard of him before. And it says that he was, got done preaching one Sunday, and he was, I think he was maybe even doing a revival, and he goes home. And when he gets home, he knows all the lights are off, but he sees all these candles. And he walks in the house, and his wife, <clears throat> which if you read any of his stories, just an amazing woman. His wife had gone in, and she was, had fixed supper and it was by candlelight, and she had candles all throughout the house. And he's thinking, you know, guys, hey, she's trying to create a romantic moment for us, and I'm so appreciative. So he goes in, says, honey, I love you, this looks awesome, let me go wash up. So he goes, in. That's, that's something we should always do, right? So he goes to the bathroom, and he begins to wash up, and he turns the light on, and the light doesn't come on. So he thinks, oh, something's wrong. So he washes his hand, goes on, and then he goes into the bedroom, because he's going to change, and flips the light switch on, but the lights do not come on. And then he goes out and says, honey, what's going on? You know, there's no lights. On. I love the candles, but there's no lights. And says so she began to cry because they didn't have enough money to pay the light bill, so they shut the power off. But instead of him feeling terrible, she just put out a bunch of candles and made a romantic moment for him. Why? Because there's something that was in him that wanted to provide and protect that felt failure when he couldn't, but because of the way she handled it, he felt encouraged. Right, ladies, are you, are you getting kind of what I'm talking about? Another thing he talks about is their desire to serve and lead that husbands have a desire to serve their wife and to lead the family. And here's all I'm gonna say about that. Sometimes we will make a bonehead wrong decision. Amen, men? Please handle us with grace, right? Because if it's handled with wrath, we will be cautious to ever serve and lead again. Another area he talks about is a desire to counsel. Every husband has a desire to give wisdom to their spouse, whether it's asked for or not, right <clears throat> come on some of you know what i'm talking about that's me right and here's what he, he says in the book that wives it's so important that you show respect and appreciation of your husband by allowing them to voice because listen we have a protector provider mentality so if we see you hurt or you're in a situation we want to offer our thoughts on that whether you want it or not because we feel like our voice matters that's an area. Another area she, he mentions is about the idea about being a friend, how you need to allow your husband to be vulnerable, allow your husband to share how things went without just cutting him off or disregarding him. But another one that's really big, it's the sixth one in the book, and I want you to get it and read it. It talks about the way we show our husband's respect and appreciation, is the desire to do all these things, but it's also his desire for physical intimacy. One thing I discovered as I was reading these psychologists, and even in this book, they make this statement that for a husband... The physical intimacy between a husband and wife builds a sense of safety and security even for the husband, like we're OK. That's why, ladies, it's important to avoid excuses of why you can't be physical, in, physically intimate, because excuses feels like rejection. Just tell the truth. Don't make up an excuse. That's why he talks about in the book, it's so important for wives to feel the sense of needing to initiate sometimes because husbands have a desire. We're the, we're, we're so, we're, we try to be a rock, but we're just big old teddy bears. We hurt. We've got feelings. We've got emotions. You may not believe it, but we do. And the psychologists, and even in this book, they talk about how at the end of the day, every husband has a desire to be wanted and to be desired just like every woman does. And through physical intimacy, we're able to build that safety and security with our husband. So those are just some ways, some ways to show appreciation, respect to a husband. But the point is this, if you're gonna, ladies, if you're gonna build intimacy in your marriage, it begins with wives submitting to the husbands. Place yourself under their care, under their protection, under their provision. Accept the authority as the head and the leader of the house and yield to their leadership as God guides them. And make sure you realize that submitting builds intimacy, whether you believe it or not. Now, husbands, verse 25, here we go. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, you should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Listen, husbands, if you want to build intimacy in your marriage, here's what we need to do. Husbands, love your wives. Now you're like, well, that was way easier than submission. It's really not. How did, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? Unconditionally unconditionally and I know most of us men in the room think we love our wives conditionally but if we could talk about it in a room for a while and really kind of flesh that out we probably realize we do put conditions on our love and our expression of love to our wives so when I think about how Jesus loved the church here's what I think about he loved the church and he loved people no matter what they did no matter what they did there was no conditions on how he loved them Jesus met crazy people Jesus encountered hypocrites. Jesus encountered prostitutes. Jesus encountered doubters. I mean, he encountered every kind of person, but all alike, he loved them all without exception. He loved them no matter what. He loved them no matter what it cost, no matter what it took. Now, what did it take for Jesus to ultimately express and demonstrate his love for humanity? It took a cross, didn't it? It took the supreme, ultimate sacrifice to demonstrate his love for humanity the bible says that he laid his own life down of his own accord he laid his life down all by himself i know we say the jews put him there our sin but at the end of the day jesus laid his own life down so he didn't just love people no matter what they did he loved people no matter what it took which was sacrifice but he also loved people no matter what they needed When you look at the stories of the Gospels, people need a lot of stuff. People needed forgiveness. People needed direction. People needed hope. And Jesus always provided that. Husbands, that's how we're to love our wives. We are to love our wives no matter what they do. Did you hear that? No matter what they do. When they cut their eyes, no matter what they do. When they tell you what they really think of what you've done, no matter what they do. When they seem to be harsh and hateful or disagreeing or or cantankerous, whatever it is, no matter what the wife does, we are to love them no matter what. Because listen to me, our love is not based on performance. Our love is based on position. They are our wives and we need to love them. Now think about it. If you're a believer in the room today, aren't you thankful that God's love for you is not based on your performance, but based on your position as a child of God? Because if it was based on performance, we would all split hell wide open, wouldn't we? Right? Listen, husbands, love your wife no matter what they do. It's not based on how they perform. It's not based on how many meals they cook a week. It's not based on anything other than their position. They are your wife. Love them no matter what. Also, we need to love them no matter what it takes. Let me just tell us all. Here's what it takes. Sacrifice. Maybe that's sacrificing of our time to spend quality time with them. Maybe, I know for me, sometimes that's sacrificing my need to be right. Sometimes that means sacrificing my agenda for her agendas. My wants for her wants. Putting my selfishness on the back burner and being selfless. See, loving our wife like Christ loved the church doesn't mean just loving her no matter what. It means loving her no matter what it takes. And it takes sacrifice. Marriage is sacrifice. It is give and it is take. But as husbands, we need to be giving a lot more than we need to be taking. Sacrifice. And also means loving her no matter what she needs. No matter what she needs. It's interesting, the passage, if you want to go back there in verse 29, it says, for no one... For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And in that passage, what Paul does is he tells us what women need, what our wives need. They need to be cherished and they need to be nurtured, right? To cherish something means you treasure it, you hold it in high regard. To nurture it means you take care of it. Like, I, I'm not a gardener. I know Bill, his house, he has a garden. What, about an acre, Bill? About an acre. I mean, it's huge. It's massive. It's, it's massive. And I know that, that when they go out there and they work it, man, they gotta till the ground, they gotta work the ground, they gotta de-weed it, they gotta put the stuff in, the, 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 I get the crop, whatever you call it, the seeds in, and they get, how much of a farmer I am, or a gardener, and they gotta water it, and they gotta go, I mean, they've gotta nurture this if they're gonna get the crops they hope to get, aren't they? That's... What our wives need. They need to be cherished and they need to be nurtured. Now, going back to this, because sometimes when you come to the Bible, you're like, yes, that's right. But what does that look like? About a third of this book is about how husbands can nurture and cherish their wife. And here's some areas he talks about. Here's some ways that we can cherish and nurture and nourish our wives. First of all, with closeness. Now, the phrase in the, in the Hebrew that, the, that they, the two unite and become one flesh, that word unite means to cleave or to cling to. If you're a King James version, you know cleave. To cling to means to hold fast to. Now, what are some ways that we need to be close to our wives? One is physical closeness, meaning hand-holding, touching your arm around them, and I probably need to say this for most women, without the expectation of anything more. Right? I mean, because some of us guys, we're just, we're wired differently. And we're, it's always leading somewhere. And physical closeness doesn't mean that for them. It means you love me, you care about me, you demonstrate it, and that's where it begins and ends. Also emotional closeness. Purposefully spending time with them. Time away from my hobby and time with them. Then he talks about openness. How, as husbands, oftentimes we shut down, and rather than shutting down, we need to be open and be vulnerable and, and be willing to share our heart. Being understanding is another way we can nurture and cherish our wives. You know, and this is my problem. I'm a fix-it guy. Anybody else a fix-it guy in the room? I mean, when there's a problem, I want to fix it. And what I've learned over 24 years, or at least i learned most of the time, not all the time, is that my wife doesn't need to be fixed, she needs to be listened to. And understanding means I'm not going to be minded to fix, I'm going to be minded to listen. Then he talks about keeping the peace as a way to nurture Sometimes your wife just needs a chance to vent and explode without you exploding back. And that you might even entertain the idea that maybe I was wrong. I feel like Fonzie saying that, wrong. you <laughs> can't get it out wrong, right? But these next two are big ones, I think. Ways that we can nurture and cherish our wives. One is by being loyal. Like tonight, hope most of you are coming. If not, please sign up. You see Brett when you leave at the Hub. I want to hear guys just bragging on their wives. I mean, even if it's loud, obnoxious tonight, that's okay. That's one way you show your loyalty is by bragging on your bride. I tell you, I, I can't stand to be around people that talk down about their wives. I'm not talking about, talking about concerns like my wife and our struggle. I don't mean that stuff, but like, well, my wife, her kicker, is terrible. I mean, I, my dog won't eat what she, I mean, I don't, don't talk down about them. What if loyalty is building them up and building them up in front of other people? And so tonight, if you come tonight, man, I want you to talk about your wife. If you see me walking up to your group, that's what I'm looking for tonight. I want you bragging on your wife. That's a way to be loyal. Also another way to be loyal is to make sure, listen to this, you only have eyes for her. You only have eyes for her. You only have eyes for her. I know in the book of Timothy, when it talks about the role of an elder, it says qualifications, that says the husband of one wife. And for many years, we've explained that as they, they shouldn't be divorced. Well, that's not what the Greek says. It says that a husband should be a one-woman man, is what it says. That's what it means. I have met many men that have never been divorced that aren't one-woman kind of men. And I'm just telling you, if we're going to be loyal to our wife, we have to be a one-woman kind of man looking is not okay thinking about is not okay we must be a one woman kind of man that's how we're loyal the last thing he talks about is building her self-esteem I'm telling you we need to as husbands I say we because I don't do it either we need to celebrate cherish brag and notice our wives notice everything as insignificant as it may seem cherish them brag on them and notice them See, if we're going to build husbands, if we're going to build intimacy in our marriage, we have to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We have to love her no matter what she does, unconditionally. We have to love her no matter what it takes, sacrifice. And we have to love her no matter what she needs. She needs to be nurtured and cherished. That's how we build intimacy. Now, it's interesting. I want to to read the last part of this passage, and we're going to wrap this up. And verse 31 says this. This won't be on the screen. Just listen to this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery, and it's profound. Would you agree that marriage is a mystery? <laughs> oh yeah, don't say it too loud, they're right beside you, right? And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Listen, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now here's what I find interesting in this whole thing today. That the way that we build intimacy in our marriage has everything to do with carrying out our biblical roles that we've been given. Wives, submit to your husband. Don't obey. Place yourself under. Accept the God-given authority. Yield to them. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, no matter what they do, no matter what it takes, no matter what they need. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. Some of you, if you really were honest about your marriages, that song hit the nail on the head. Or maybe you think it hasn't, and your spouse has a different view. There should be a conversation that happens. Now, please don't make the conversation when you get in the car, you know, uh, Marcy telling Branson, well, Branson, you, you, just, you, you don't sacrifice at all for me. Not that kind of conversation. The kind of conversation begins with me. What's going on with me? Not them, because <coughs> we can find a lot of flaw in them, but let's find some flaw in me. So, wives... Can you look at your marriage and go, that you truly are biblically submitting the way we talked about? Husbands, can you look at your marriage and go, I'm biblically loving her like Christ loved the church? And if not, talk about that. And if not, go, what commitment am I gonna make to make sure I love her like Christ loved the church? What commitment am I gonna make to submit to him like I've submitted to the Lord? Because listen, the healthiness and the growth of your marriage and possibly the longevity of it depends on what you do with this information. Now, there may be somebody in the room today who goes, you know what? The intimacy I'm missing isn't with a spouse. I'm missing intimacy with God. And I just wanna to say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus today and you don't feel connected to him and you've lost that connection with him, listen, the same thing that's true in marriage is true in our relationship with him. We need to submit to him. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Submit to his authority and then demonstrate our love for him. So if you're married today, my prayer is simple, that you would rediscover your intimacy so you could rediscover your mojo and your connection. And if you've lost that with Christ, that today that you would surrender and submit yourselves and that Christ come in and invade your life and restore the intimacy you once had with him. So I'm gonna ask you this. Everybody stand with me. Everybody stand. And then we're gonna pray together. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I know today was packed with so much, but God, I, I know that, that for many of us, while we love the song and it's, 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 it takes back to memories of things, unfortunately that may be too familiar of a truth for many of our marriages today. And I pray for wives that today they have a better biblical understanding of what submission means. And they realize the way to build that intimacy in their marriages by submitting to their husbands like they've submitted to the Lord because that shows their husband a level of respect and a level of appreciation that every husband needs. Whether we admit it or not, we need it. I need the kind words of my wife. I need the words that build me up. I need the words that affirm me. I need the words that are there to support me when I feel like there's no support. And God, I pray that you just open wives' eyes up to that. We need them. But God, I pray for the husbands in the room that we would realize the mandate is to love our wife like you, Jesus, loved the church. That's frightening to me. Because you always loved. It didn't matter what they did. You were willing to sacrifice your own life. It didn't matter what it took. And you were willing to provide everything they needed because you didn't matter what they needed. You were there. God, that is a huge hurdle, a huge mountain but I pray for some husbands today that we would take the journey we would take the challenge and we go that's how I'm going to love my wife I'm going to fail I know I'm going to fail but every day I get up I'm going to try to love my wife like Jesus loved the church and God last of all I pray for those who've lost intimacy with you that the same things that are true for wives and husbands is true for them that if they want that connection back they've got to submit themselves to you and they need to make sure they demonstrate their love for you God just be with us today May we declare our love for you. May we be reminded of your love for us. And may you really challenge our hearts about the kind of marriage we have and the kind of marriage we want to have. And may we take steps today to grow our marriage healthier, stronger, and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. The love.